The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Consequence Uncut, a series that gives listeners and readers a deeper dive into our features with major artists. For our very first episode, we couldn't have asked for a better subject than Josh Homme of Queens of the Stone Age. Johnny Cash had a great quote, I'm not the creator of the music, I'm the deliverer. And I love that because it suggests a very servile attitude. You're blessed to have this job and you do everything you can to ferry the music across the river to the other side and bring it into being. So... Who the hell are we and why are we here? <laughs> I'm Mijan Zulu. I'm the lead producer of Consequence Podcast. I am Paolo Ragusa. I am an associate editor at Consequence. Amazing. I love your last name, by the way. Thank you. It's Italian. I know. I, went, I was going to go with like Ragusa or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say it, yeah, with a little bit of drama. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but I'm so excited to share this interview because I so enjoyed listening to your conversation. Absolutely. Josh really immediately sort of went into the deep end with me. As soon as we began, even before I started recording, uh, we recorded this over Zoom. And a few days before the interview, I had given myself a black eye on accident, (laughs) slipped and fell in the middle of the night, hit my head. It was all sorts of black under my eye. So I was a little (laughs) nervous. But, you know, usually for Zoom interviews, the artist will keep their camera off because they want to be in their own space. But of course, right when we joined, Josh had his camera on and immediately asked, oh, can I see you? Can you turn your camera on? And of course I did. And I was like, by the way, um, gave myself this terrible black eye and we ended up joking about it. Uh, But yeah, it was a great little precursor to the conversation because pretty instantly he talked about the sort of vulnerable approach of creating this album. And he was very eager to connect with me and really share his thoughts and his philosophy on making music. What I really appreciated is there's a very little hesitation for him to jump in the deep end 
and really talk about what this new album in Times New Roman means to him. Uh, he goes really in depth about a lot of the personal strife he was experiencing, a lot of the adversity he was experiencing when the band was recording this album. He produced it all by himself uh, alongside the band, and it definitely is one of the darker, more tortured Queens of the Stone Age albums to date. I know, and like, I didn't expect him to be so vulnerable and so committed to sharing honest bits of himself. Like when he even said that he wrote the music like years before, and then he couldn't get himself into the right emotional space to actually sing and create the words around it. I was just, I was moved. Absolutely. Me too. I think throughout the conversation, you'll get not just inside looks into each of these songs and, and what they mean, but you'll also get a lot of his personal philosophy about making music, especially considering this is the eighth Queens of the Stone Age album. So he's been at this for a long time, him and the band. Uh, and it's really great to hear that, you know, after all of this time, he's still really engaged and jumping into this process and really open and vulnerable with how the process was. I know. And, and it's, I mean, it just shows like how much more meaningful the music that Queens of the Stone Age makes and that this songwriting process creates. Absolutely. So you can check out the article on Consequence.net entitled Queens of the Stone Age's Josh Homme is Addicted to Risking It All. And please subscribe to the podcast feed to stay up to date with these in-depth interviews. And with that, we'll turn it over to Paolo and Josh. Please enjoy. I got to spend some time with the uh, the new album, Times New Roman. It's coming out this week, six years after the last Queens of the Stone Age album. So first things first, how is it feeling? What's going through your mind? What are you thinking about this week? In particular, because this was finished, sort of Mikey Shoes and, and Mark Rankin, and I finished this almost like by candlelight in the dark and worked so hard as like a wedding cake where you're like putting that butterfly that circles around it and you back away from it like this. It was a difficult record to make. And so I just feel like I was talking with Mike about it. I forgot, he did the same, forgot to create an expectation. It just the making of it and when you're done, you're like, oh fuck. And you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. And so it's kind of nice to have neglected to create some kind of perception about the fact that it will be received and how that will what that will be how long was the sort of gestation period of this album when did it begin the music was recorded about two and a half years ago Ah, uh, okay you know but i didn't sing it or i didn't have the words really until november of last year so i i think it's one of those things where i don't know the words are really important to me and so i i think i kept writing too close to what was happening for me and i I needed to get about 20 feet back from it it's a better spot you know i see yeah have a little bit of that vantage point well speaking of those i just kind of want to dig into the album but first i do want to start with the title i noticed obviously it's a a line in the last song straight jacket fitting why do you feel that that title sums up the album in times new roman well, for a start, it's just a little bit funny. Yeah. <laughs> this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some records are made ahead of their time or behind their time, and, and, and some are made that feels like they're of their time. And, and I, I don't think you really get a choice on that because by the time you're done and it comes out, is it still of its moment, you know? I think if I do have one sort of perspective, my expectation is that I think this record is actually of its time. It's not negative to say Rome is burning and the Titanic is sinking. I don't think at all. I think it's this record is very much about acceptance 
And to accept something, you need to identify it for what it really is and, and not be, you need to admit the reality of the situation you're in, you know? And maybe that's why it took so long for me to, to get the words right, you know? So I just think, yeah, in times of Roman, hell, it's just funny to... <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely get that. I'm after spending some time with this album, I I do kind of see a little bit of that that paranoia and that sort of acknowledgement of Rome is burning. Talk about the the first two singles, Emotion Sickness and Carnivore. First things first, you know, what made you decide on those two albums to be the first slices of In Times New Roman? Well, we don't sort of consider the conventional singles to radio anymore. And so I think it's really more about creating an impression on the first listens of something, you know, it's like, what do you want to say first? You know, we've never had a, like a Crosby, Stills and Nash three-part harmony thing going before. <laughs> so, yes. and, and I think emotion sickness is just a strange little Frankenstein's monster. It seems sort of sewn together. It's parts from disparate regions sewn together. But I also think it's it, that is a good mantra for the record is picking up pe your pieces and sewing yourself back together. It has that right emotional tonality. And Carnivore is another one where it's, I think it shows the kind of musical tightrope walking that, that's happening on this record. There's a lot of dynamic shifts going on. It's This record is tonally very brutal, mm -hmm. guitar-wise, and, and it almost it seems unfinished in a way, perhaps, you know, because it's so raw. There's, yeah. there's things out of tune, there's things out of time, there's things, there's mistakes everywhere. And I, when the orchestration and things like that come in, what they do is they sort of offset that brutality for a minute with something fragile. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I was, it, I like that you noted uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash for that <laughs> emotion sickness, because I was getting Steely Dan in that last, those you know, many sections. I'll take, I'll take that too. <laughs> As long as, we were not, almost there. <laughs> as long as it's not Crosby, Stills, and Nash Bridges. I just think <laughs> that's not very good. I see. Kind of going in the other direction, one of my favorite songs on this album was Paper Machete, a very vintage Queens of the Stone Age song. I just want to hear about that song, how it came together, and maybe where that represents the album, especially coming second in the track list. You know, it's fun to put something together. It's fun to, each song has its own little arc of a story, and then they're there to snap into the puzzle they're each puzzle pieces that snap into each other to support a grander arc and then and hopefully the album snaps into as, as part of a grander puzzle as well you know and and so i i think paper machete is almost a way of saying it's going to be all right there's some classic us here you know yeah. i mean and i think it's actually a really good example of how each member of this band really is themselves articulated on this like that lead line that's going through the song that's such quintessential Dean. You know, it's it's very him the style and the way it's played. And and Troy was saying, I, I'm gonna do a, a a lead that's exact tone as little sister. It'll almost be like, I guess we call them cousins. Like little sister has as much is related to paper machete and somehow is related to our first song, Regular John, all the way back. It's like I also think lyrically. This has become this diary of a life, you know, you're writing soundtracking your life. And so it's like when you stop the film and pull a single frame, each song is like a single frame of, a, of, of an emotion. And, and certainly this one kind of represents the frustration of saying I've had enough. No, now I've had enough. And, and I think that's important to be able to, to kind of really distill it down to one drop of an emotion for each song, you know. 
I love that. Yeah. A beautiful little snapshot of that kind of feeling. I think that's that's wonderful. I'd love to hear just about the recording experience. Obviously, the last record was done by Mark Ronson. And, you know, you've kind of been back at the helm for this one. So did it feel a little bit like going back to the basics production wise? Or what was the experience, especially doing this in your studio, as well as Rick Rubin's studio? What was the kind of that two year process? You know, it was really lovely to work with Mark. And I think, you know, it's about Ronson, this strange chemistry, something that reads strange on paper is something I've always loved. And, and I think it creates a talking point all on its own. But this time around, I knew how raw I wanted to make it. Yeah. The words are one thing, you know, you're trying to write as close to try to write in that third truth. Like there's yours, mine, and what actually happened. And I I just, I feel that's really important, but words also fail sometimes. And and I think it's easier for me to play how I feel and say how I feel a lot of the time. And so knowing that the desire was to make the record so raw and brutal, just (laughs) sonically brutal, and that the dynamic would be so large that it would be hard to ask a producer to take that risk or it might actually water it down than just doing it yourself and saying this record, it will take the dynamic, you know, at the end of Carnivore, your dynamic is as loud as it could possibly be without destroying or going to digital static. You know, if you were to ask someone to do that for you, they would be like, no. So I think it's best to be very Dr. Jekyll mm-hmm. and you know, he tried all his serums on himself first, right? So Mr. Hyde came to be. And I, and I think, you know, this is definitely me saying, I'll take, the, I'll take the risks. I don't have to ask someone else to shoot themselves in the foot, you know? Wonderfully put. And then also kind of along those lines, I just kind of, you know, I feel like this album, we get a few more sides of your vocals that we maybe haven't gotten before. And especially, you know, considering the the subject matter in these lyrics and how personal this has been for you, this whole process. Have you encountered a lot of challenges vocally that have really pushed you? Or, you know, how do you feel like your your profile as a, a vocalist in this band has sort of changed with this album? This should be a high risk business. You know, you're supposed to, sometimes I worry that it's like risking it all is like, I'm too addicted to that. I want to say things that are hard to say. Trust me, it's hard to sing voyeurism jism, right? It's hard to, yeah. <laughs> like some things are just hard to say, right? And so there's that aspect where you're, and you're like, how do I sing something like that, right? How do I, how do I sing something that feels almost like the first time you sing it, you're embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Can I do this? And then also we have been blessed to have people like Mark Lanigan and Nick Oliveri and and just kind of on and on that really sing and have such an individual voice. I think in those moments, I really didn't need to pursue any directions where they existed because it's such a wonderful job of covering that over there, the, the Lanigan way. But as the years have gone on now, I just want to do things that I haven't done. There's less moments of the paper machetes, which are sort of retaining a sense of self. And there's more moments of taking a risk and expanding on what you do. There was a lot of talk between us where I was just like, if we've done it, I don't want to do it again. I don't want to do what we've done already, unless it's the absolute best version or representation of that. And there's a lot of challenging vocals on this record that are just hard to sing kind of, you know? And so I just, I think that's more rewarding because I feel like when the risk is there, I'm more excited. 
Yeah, definitely. I also kind of like what you said, especially you're bringing up that line voyeurism, chism. There's a lot of lines kind of sprawled throughout this album of, you know, it's almost like a blink if you, you blink and you miss it. Yeah. I think it's interesting because you do kind of add this level of drama to some of those lyrics and like you feel a little bit of that character kind of edging up against, you know, this sort of reflection of who you are. And I think that that's a really interesting kind of new look for this Queens of the Stone Age album. I think you just said something important. That's a character. Like I'm so obsessed with wanting it to feel real, which is a really vague mm -hmm. statement. It's like, so how does that work? How, how does it become real? And, and for me, it's, you know, doing things that are frankly are terrifying or scary or embarrassing or difficult to admit, right? Because then I know it's honest and it's vulnerable. And, and in order to deliver something properly and really give every song is its own personality. And to get the personality of that song right, you find yourself like this. There's a, in this tune, what the people say, but there's a background that I was like, oh God, this is going to be really embarrassing. You know, <laughs> and Mike, Mike is saying, what? And it's like, I have to go. Like I have to do it like a, cause I hear it. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately for me, I'm slave to what I hear. So I have to sing it in a way like a big dumb brute. And it's embarrassing to go. And it can't be over articulated in order to work properly. And then I was like, and if it doesn't work, I'm just going to need to take five and be like, oh my God, what are you doing right now? Man? <laughs> but it works and it adds to the personality. It's like decorating a fucking Christmas tree or something. It's like it's, the grand total is, is made of these tiny details and they're amalgam together. So you have to take chances like that. Right? And that, that may seem like a nominal chance to take, but there's still necessary little leaps to make. Yeah, absolutely. And many of them really add up. I think, you know, I, I also just really appreciate that, you know, you, you've got so, you're so many years in now to your career and you're still, you want to kind of go there and take those risks and be a little bit silly. And like, that's so important. I feel like, especially in 2023 in in rock music and, you know, not everybody has the courageousness to be silly. I think that that's very important. Well, I think, you know, I don't take myself that serious. So I, I don't really, you know, I don't, I think it needs to, to be, to be vulnerable is mandatory. It's the minimum obligation. Mm -hmm. And and it's taken all these years to get to this point where it's just jungle and a machete and there's no one else. And you're really trying to carve your own road. I mean, I guess we play rock music, I yeah, guess. More it's or less. Just, <laughs> it, you know, but, it, but yeah, we use guitars, keyboards and, drums and bass it's like we use these tools but you're trying to create an emotion and it takes all these things to do it and you know it would be silly for me not to to reject feeling silly while doing something you know because yeah. it, it has to get there for real and it's worth trying and failing i think that the failing is what's so important you know absolutely That's 
The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I kind of want to go back to what you said about just a lot of this album being about acceptance. And I really, you know, now that I've kind of listened, especially the the final outro of Straight Jacket Fitting, that sort of acoustic, very idyllic outro would you say that that sort of represents a little bit of that acceptance that you were kind of speaking about earlier absolutely i think i i also think i mean it's it's the first song of scenery played acoustically and and so there's a bit of a full circle and i love suggesting the future i love playing those those that game with our fans and people that i realize that many people listen to music on the way to the bank and then they don't think much of it and that's fine i'm i'm okay with that i but if you if you listen deeper and more times and you get into it, I think that's where the where the band for you because it's because you know it's even like in times no Roman the villains come like clockwork. The the fa- those that simple fact should be enough for people to try to start the Wizard of Oz at the front of one of these records. And I, and I, I love poking, prodding, pushing, pulling, and. You know, why can't you play a dirty trick lovingly on your fans and on your friends? I think, you know, so um, I, I doubt highly the acoustic thing is a dirty little trick, but it's just one of many. You, you think about a song and give it its due, then you try to make this record and then you try to connect that puzzle piece to the rest of your career, too. Mm-hmm. And I think I do that because I really don't have any hobbies. So I have nothing else to do. <laughs> you know, think of this shit. <laughs> Well, that's good. A true, spoken like a true artist. <laughs> so I have a, a bit of a more abstract question as we've been talking about this album and you kind of brought up, you know, the fans and what maybe the fans are expecting. But I just, you know, from a very abstract place, who is this Queens of the Stone Age album for? I, I think it's a great question. Actually, I'm glad to get a question like that doing this part of being a fan. I think that, you know, I try to make something I really love. and the guys I know do the same. You try to make something you really love and that, and you really give yourself to this thing because I think it can make you a better person if you if you give everything you have to this artistic process of making a record. And it can unload baggage. It can help you to overcome great obstacles. And you can, you're making your very best attempt to express how you feel, especially in times that are dark and to appreciate the time, the moments of hallelujah in between the darkness, right? So I think, who is it for? It's it's for other people that have survived difficulties or are in the midst of a difficulty that's overwhelming. And 
if I really love it, I can attract someone who is looking to really love something like minds. And I'm trying to manifest this, this belief. It's almost like religion at some point, you know, because Johnny Cash had a great quote. I'm not the creator of the music. I'm the deliverer. And I love that because it suggests a very servile attitude. You're blessed to have this job and you do everything you can to ferry the music across the river to the other side and bring it into being. So I think this record is for people that either have survived that difficult time or are in the midst of it. Absolutely. Beautifully put. I definitely am getting, yeah, getting that sort of giving nature, I think, in this album, especially in that end ending section and the sort of acceptance there. So kind of moving in a different different lens. This is another difficult question, but maybe won't be as hard. What is your favorite riff on this album? I think I actually like Made to Parade. I think I love the end of that song the most. Mm -hmm. That's my, you know, you play with song arrangements and, and things like that. And Made to Parade is, feels like classic queens but yet we haven't ever heard anything like that from us it's 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 very kind of quintessentially queens riff a stupid boneheaded thing right and then it goes instead of going it goes to a chorus that's very small you go back to the verse and then you go to a instead of going back to the same chorus it's three different courses each time it's just and they keep getting bigger until the end that that end just like before anything was sung on it, there was the lead and this, the way it sounded. And it always just made me feel good when mm. I got there. It's weird how listening to something can make you feel good. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, I, I, I always found that so fascinating. The music's such a crazy elixir. It's that it actually can do things to your mind and your, your emotions and get your juices flowing. It's weird that actually works yeah, yeah. It's, it's strange that you can play music that's terrifying too it's that's scary it's funny that you know it, you can cobble these things together that actually triggers an emotional response it's just weird it's one of the weird things of how magical life is i like know? that you brought up that song too i do really feel like you know in the end you kind of it's like you crack open into another universe almost and just let it really let it ride i just think it's so beautiful well, i think it's funny how if you're being servant like a, being a servant to the music you know at the end i i have to say something that matches that emotional tonality mm -hmm. and so it, it's funny how it just sort of guides you and you get to go oh okay i know what i'm supposed to accomplish here mm -hmm. and it's I'm always really pleased with moments like that where the music is your guide. Let the music be your guide. Where I'm just list, I'm listening to what it tells me to do. Mm -hmm. If that feels nice, because it's like, oh, I'm not driving. I'm sitting shotgun here, and, I'm, and that's just cool because it's again, it's just weird that you would be able to turn over the controls to this thing. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Kind of going into that a little bit, you know, you guys just finished your first two shows a couple of weeks ago. First shows back in a few years. What was that like, Get, especially getting back in a festival? You know, have you noticed any changes in festivals, obviously, since the pandemic? Yeah, what was that experience like, Sonic Temple and Boston Calling? Well, you know, I wasn't interested in playing in my living room on online because, uh, and many people did that. And I thought, well, okay, well, there's enough of that. Um, I, that's not a requirement. No one's requiring me to show up in this way because I like the drama and the, the effort and the wildness and the atmosphere when it's 
firing on all cylinders and it's, we're doing something, man, yeah. you know? So I guess I just felt really appreciative. I, in particular in Boston and in Ohio, I guess I was a little scared maybe, but it, it went really well and it was fun, which is perhaps sometimes feels like a goofy word to say, <laughs> and associated with like playing live, like, boy, gee, that was fun. But I, what can I say? That's in Boston, the, the moon was high. Mm-hmm. The temperature was perfect. The crowd was smiling and dancing. Much like Ohio, it kept getting more and more and more wild as it went, which is all I really want is for people to, I think when people are being themselves, they go wild. Mm-hmm. So I associate this group wildness with people being themselves. And I, you know, Maybe the hallmark of us is that I don't, we don't tell you what to do. You know what I mean? In a world, in a, in a world that is constantly selling you something and selling you fear and telling you what you can't do and making all these rules. I always pride myself on being like, I do whatever the fuck you want. Just, yeah. You just don't, don't hurt each other. And we're good. So it was nice. Nice. That just, it, you know, you talking about that reminds me, I saw you guys, the only time I've gotten to see Queens of the Stone Age, it won't be the last, but I saw you guys at Coachella in 2014 on that first weekend. And to this day, that is still the loudest show I have ever seen. I had to tell you. I think that loud is important too, you know, you play yeah. a lot of these and they're like, hey, 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 you know, you're going to hurt somebody. And I just, <laughs> everyone trying to protect everyone is really, safety is only what you were. It's not what you are. Safety is fucking illusion that people try to sell you so you feel, so you calm the fuck down. There is no such thing. It's, it's a past tense word. You don't think anything's going to happen to you now, but that's not really the case. That's not how life is. <laughs> yeah. You know, safety is just what we were five seconds ago. We made it safely through that. But as we live and breathe and move forward, the present tense is never fucking safe. And I, so I kind of am annoyed by people's attempt to sell safety everywhere as if it were a, a, some, a lollipop you want to lick mm-hmm. yeah loud yeah. is good yeah loud, that show was really good and it was also super windy i remember it was it definitely worked with the environment it was very memorable yeah i mean it is a very much a consequence of sound yeah <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So we have only a few minutes left. There's actually an initiative that we are doing at Consequence called Consequence Hometowns, where we are really celebrating local venues. If you have a favorite local venue under 2000 capacity, which is that venue and why? Well, I like the Terragram. I think it's all the sight lines are good. It's easy to be there. Yeah. I think the Troubadour is a beautiful little place too. Mm-hmm. And that has been, that has been a played host to so much that you just can't believe it. And I think it should be recognized as like a, a landmark, you know? And, you know, I lo- I still love the desert, like Pappy and Harriet's is, is a wonderful place to go because it's authentic American roadhouse. And I guess being kicked out of there as a teenager with a fake ID many times, like I, I just, it's hard to not like being allowed in and being thrown out. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, I guess, you know, you can continue with Pappy and Harriet's here, but has have either of these venues had a specific impact on your career or your development as an artist? Well, the Troubadour particularly has. It was the place where we started really cutting our teeth. Mm-hmm. And it felt so good. You know, it's funny to hear you're sold out. It doesn't matter if the venue's small or big. It's just 
you you're like sold out the troubadour and you're like fuck yeah i i just think when they're when it's small like that it's easier to sell out but yeah. it sure does feel good and some of some of my first real sellout experiences were there so amazing what would you say to encourage fans to go see a show or musicians to play a gig there or at Terragram or at pappy and harriet's well, I, I think they, they all share the same thing, which is you spill out over each other. Yeah. You know, you're, a point, you're at point blank range and you can see people step on pedals or you, see, you can hear them breathe in between songs. And, it's, and so I think, you know, you become part of the pulsating rhythm of, their, of being there. It's like one organism a bit. That reminds me of seeing a show at the Roxy. I haven't been there in years, but you could see everything at that venue. Yeah, right. And it, uh, the Roxy is interesting because for some reason, I, whenever I'm watching something there, it always like looks like it's on TV somehow. It's like, a, it's got a <laughs> just how quality. Yeah. And like, you're so just there. A lot of these little venues are, are so wonderful and I'm glad they survived because people That's seem to not all of a sudden, it seemed to be the last thing people cared about helping. <laughs> what would you like to say in appreciation to the people who are behind the scenes and working at these venues? Well, I think if you really sit down and imagine what it's like to work at a venue and have music, loud music every night, and what it takes to support that underground culture, it takes a lot of effort and you have to really care about it. And so you're talking about people that are dedicating their lives to supporting things as they're getting started in this infant stage of, of development, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and so I couldn't be more appreciative of places like that. I mean, I wouldn't be anywhere without them. And, and frankly, it's a major commitment by anyone to just be part of that. Mm -hmm. Even if you're a fucking bartender, it's like you're a bartender at a place where the music is pounding. And and you're hearing shit and amazing music and like constant it's just the constant melding of these wonderful attempts to do something different. Beautiful. Perfectly put. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.